Now we're going to be in uh, John, the book Gospel of John, the first chapter this morning. If you want to uh, turn there. I want to kind of start a series of messages. It's just not really a specific topic, but what it's going to be is conversations with Jesus. And there's a lot of different people that had conversations with Jesus throughout the Bible. And I thought maybe I would go through and talk about some of those people for the next who knows how many weeks or whatever. We're going to, if we take a break, we'll take a break. But it's kind of interesting to just sit there and just focus on the times that Jesus had actually had conversations with individual people. And it's kind of an exciting thing when you, when you look at it. Um, the Army Recruiting has slogans. I don't know whether you've noticed that or not. They say, one of their slogans used to be, I want you. The other one was, be all that you can be. And then now we have, I think, an army of one. I don't know if they've changed that yet or not. But that's kind of their slogan. When it first came out, I thought, man, that's the stupidest slogan I've ever heard. What in the world does that mean? And then when you kind of realize that we're all one, then it kind of made sense. But I thought, man, whoever you paid good money to for that slogan, you got cheated. <laughs> you know. But anyway, but you know what? Jesus had a slogan too. He made a proposition to people. And it, it, the, the reality of that is that the army has changed their slogans over throughout the years. But for the past 2,000 years, Jesus' sales pitch or his slogan has not changed. Of course, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, so I shouldn't be surprised that he hasn't changed his pitch. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And he begins his, uh, his message or ministry with not a demand but a very reasonable offer. And that offer was come and see. And we find that offer starting in verse chap, uh, John chapter 1, verse 35. And it says, The next day John was there with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. Now this was, short, this was a few days after he had been baptized and John had acknowledged him as the Lamb of God. Well, if we see the scene here, we see that these, these people, these two disciples that they were talking to, they were disciples of John. And they were sitting there in the audience in his ministry and following Jesus. And he looked and he saw Jesus walking in the distance. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And he didn't, of course, he didn't have to take away the sins of the world. But he was acknowledging Jesus who he was to these, to these disciples. And they decided that they, you know, maybe they'd follow him. I mean, why do you want to follow the, the servant when you can follow the one in charge? <laughs> Amen. And so that's kind of what they did there. Now, if I had two bowls of candy up here that were unwrapped, because they wrap candy now, and I had them here, and I asked you to tell me which one of these bowls of candy was sour and which one was sweet, you wouldn't be able to tell me, would you? Assuming they were the same color and looked the same. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to tell me. The only way that you could tell for sure which was which was if you tasted them. Isn't that right? Well, um... Psalms 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the person who takes refuge in him. The Message Bible, I like it, 
It says, open your mouth and taste. Open your eyes and see how good God is. Blessed are you who run to him. See, God is telling us, come, taste and see, and make up your own mind. Find out if the bowl is sour or if it's sweet. It's your decision. You come and see. You taste and see. Because when we come become Christians, it isn't just a religion that we come to. It's something that we can experience within our own souls and within our own hearts. And I like that. I said, I don't have a, have a use for a gospel or a God I can't feel. Sometimes I wonder if he's there. <laughs> but something, you know, most, a lot of times I know that God is there because we can feel him. We can sense him. And I've tasted God and I've seen the fact that he is good. And I agree with this. But the only way we can find out is by tasting. And that's what his invitation was to these first disciples. And that was in verse 38. It says, when two disciples heard him, they followed him. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabboni, which means teacher, we are, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. Jesus is telling us the same thing to us today. Come, and you will see. Just come, and you'll be able to find out for yourself. <clears throat> now, these disciples didn't really just want the information of where Jesus lived. That wasn't what he was asking. It was kind of, they were just kind of trying to follow him from afar until they, you know, because you don't automatically go in. I mean, if the, if the senator came to town, we wouldn't be welcome to be able to just walk right up into his hotel room, walk in, because there would be that kind of that distance. The Secret Service would keep it from it. But so that's kind of the thing. They were kind of apprehensive. They knew, you know, that John said this is the Lamb of God, and they wanted to follow him, and they were kind of following, kind of from afar. And Jesus turned around, seen him. Uh oh, got caught. <laughs> And they didn't quite know what to say. And so he says, where are you staying? And Jesus didn't say, hey, that's a stupid question. He didn't say that at all. <laughs> he says, well, come on and see. You know, come ahead and follow me. And he says to them, find, me, find out about me. Come with me. Be with me. Find out about me. It wasn't just come and see where I'm staying. That wasn't it. He invited them in to be a part of his life. He was inviting him in to know who he was, to have fellowship with him. To have a relationship with him. That's what he was inviting them to do. And he offered them that relationship. John, uh, verse 43, it says, The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee, and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was at Bethesda, the city of Andrew, and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Could there be any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip saith unto him, Come and see. That very same offer was made by the shepherds that we studied about a few weeks ago at Christmas time. uh, when When Jesus was born in Luke 2, it said, But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a babe snugly wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They were excited, you know, invited to come and see. Come and see this thing. And they, they did. They wanted to go see this thing. Three years later, two women named Mary went to the empty tomb. 
And the angels uh, said to them in Matthew 28, 6, He is not here, he has risen, just as he has said. Come and see the place where he is laid. Jesus' op- 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 invitation is the same today. All the way through the scriptures, you hear an invitation to come and see. Come and see where he lay. Come and see where he is born. Come and see. Come and know Jesus personally. That's the invitation that he has. That's his motto. In John 8, 32, it says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. See, when we come to God, we come to Jesus, we're going to know the truth. And the truth is going to set us free, and that's going to change our lives. And we're going to be able to taste and see that God is good at that time. In verse 43, it said, The next day Jesus decided to leave for, Gal- for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said unto him, Follow me. See, it isn't just a matter of a come and see. Once we come to God or Jesus and we know who he is and we're invited to a relationship with him, then the relationship goes on a little further. He says, Follow me. Not only just come and know who I am and taste me, but follow me. And when we come to God and we come to Christ for salvation, we can't help once we know him to want to follow him. It's something that happens. But this is what he told those early disciples. Come and see where I live. Come and know me. Come and be with me. Now follow me. I've got to go from here to here. Follow me over here. That's what his invitation is to us today. Uh, The book of None of These Diseases tells the story of a young woman who wanted to go to college, but her heart sank when she read the question on the application on the application blank that asked, are you a leader? Being both honest and conscientious, she wrote no and returned the application. Expecting the worst, to her surprise, she received this letter from the college. Dear applicant, a study of the application form reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they at least have one follower. Everybody wants to be a leader. (laughs) Man, you can go to the bookstores and the shelves are just covered with books about how to be a leader. If you want funds from the government or the army, just write leader in the the title for the grant and man, you'll get it. But you'd be a hard pressed to go to a library or a bookstore and try to find a book that tells you how to be a follower. Because we don't want to be followers. Deep down in our hearts, we want everybody to follow us. Even if we don't know where we're going. Isn't that right? I don't know where I'm going, but go ahead and follow me. Jesus says, like the blind leading the blind, and we'll all end up in the ditch. (laughs) So his call is to us to follow him because he knows where we're going. And we have to follow some. I want to follow somebody who knows where they're going. I hate following somebody. You sit there and you say, have you ever been out hunting or somewhere with someone? And they say, come on, let's go over this way. And you assume they know where they're going. And pretty soon you notice and you've gone around this same, same area three times. <laughs> they, where are you going? I don't know. I'm lost. <laughs> well, okay. So sometimes that isn't a good thing. But when we follow Jesus, we don't have to worry about it because he knows where we're going. He knows where he wants us to go. We don't have to just sit back and wonder. He says, follow me because I know where I'm going. I know what's best for you. I know which path you need to take to get from here to there. And I know the shortest route. And so he says, follow me. Now this name, followers, was basically what they called the early Christians. We call them disciples. But that word basically is followers. They called them followers of Jesus, believers. And it wasn't until a lot later on, years later, that they started calling them Christians. So actually, when they're saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, you're saying, I'm a follower. <clears throat> what are you a follower of? Hopefully, you're a follower of Jesus. 
Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. As long as Paul's following Christ, I'll follow Paul. But if he gets off the path, I don't want to go there. And as your pastor, that's what I need to say too. Follow me as I follow Christ. And I'm not, you know, I'm not perfect. And sometimes I miss, that, <clears throat> miss those directions just like everyone else. That's why I have an advisory board <laughs> to help me to make right decisions and that because no one's perfect. But I want to follow Christ. I want to be called a follower of Christ. And when we come to Christ and after we've seen how great it is to be a Christian, he says, follow me. Don't follow your religion. Don't follow what the government says. Don't follow what anybody else says. Follow me. And we get in problems when we start listening to man instead of to what Jesus said. And there's a lot of things, a lot of religious beliefs that we don't need to be following. We need to follow what he said in here. And if it contradicts it, we need to follow Christ. Doesn't matter. That's what the disciples said when they called him up on charges. Who are we going to listen to? You or God? We need to make that decision in our own lives and our own hearts. Because the way the world's going, we may have to make that choice. Are we going to follow what the law says or what God says? Hopefully we'll all follow what God says. Because that's the only road that's going to lead us to heaven. Uh, verse 41. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Verse uh, 45, jumping down there, it says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Jesus said, follow me, not only follow me, but bring your friends. There's some places we, can't, we go that we can't take friends. We'd feel uncomfortable taking them. But any place we go following Jesus, we can bring our friends. And matter of fact, he wants us to bring our friends. And we kind of get that impression that that's what Jesus gave him the invitation to pass it on because of the actions of, the, of Andrew and, and Philip at this time. They brought their friends, and they were excited to do it. And we need to be excited about bringing our friends to Jesus because we know that he's the only way to heaven, and it's, a, it's good news. And why wouldn't we want to share it? Because they were happy to share the good news to, about Christ and about the Messiah had come. They were excited about that. We need to be excited about it. And we need to bring our friends to Christ and let them, and let them make up their own decision, just like they did. And we're commanded to do it in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It says, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth end of the world. Now Jesus spoke these words, was the last words Jesus spoke to his disciples. He said, go out there, bring the people in, tell them to come and see. Tell them to see and taste me and see that I am good. He didn't tell us to go out there and promote a religion. He said, lift me up. I'm the only one that can draw people unto him. He's the one that we need to be out there talking about. He's the one that we need to bring people to. Not to the church, you know, of course sometimes we have to bring them to church to meet Jesus. But basically, we're bringing them to Christ. That's what we need to do. That's what we're commanded to do. And when we use the same kind of tactics or, or the same kind of uh, pitch that they used originally, because that hasn't changed, come and see. Come and see for yourself. It isn't for you? Then fine. But at least come and check it out. We, we recommend restaurants to people, don't we? We do it all the time. Recommends, maybe recommend a movie. Maybe rec recommend a TV program. Well, why not recommend Jesus? Because the ramifications of recommend Jesus are eternal. If I recommend a restaurant, you may go there and not like it. 
Well, that's your choice. Maybe the qualities went down since I went there last. But when I went there, hey, it was good. And if it was good, and the food was good, it tasted good, hey, I'm going to recommend it. That's the same thing that God wants us to do. If we come to Christ and we've tasted and we've seen that he is good, then we can recommend him to our friends. If God isn't good in our life and we've tasted him and he isn't, then we can't recommend something that we don't like. But when we like it, we don't have a problem recommending it. I don't have to worry about whether or not that person is going to like it, whether I recommend a certain restaurant or a certain movie. It doesn't matter. If you don't like it, fine. This is what I like. It's proven to be true for me, and I'm just letting you know. And God wants us to do the same thing. And it was so simple for them, wasn't it? He just says, go tell them to come and see. Tell them we found the Messiah. Of course, they were looking for the Messiah. So this was good news to them that someone had found him. Man, they're going to go see. Somebody went out and had this wonderful ministry of, of uh, healing people. And they went and laid a hand on them. Every single person got, got healed or whatever. You're going to be present that news around. Hey, let's go see this guy. But the reality is it isn't them that heal. And he, God provides the healing. And we need to make sure that our things are straight. But we do that. If we hear of something good or something that's going on, we're going to go. We're going to do everything we can to do that. And it was so simple that they used. They, they used what... And we're looking to have a world. We live in a world where everybody's looking for something, aren't they? We've got so much turmoil in the world and so many things going on that people actually are probably a little more open to the gospel because they want an answer to their life. They're tired of their life. They're tired of all this insecurity and all this fear that they're feeling in their hearts, worrying about what tomorrow may bring because today hasn't been very kind to them. So they're ready and willing, but we're sitting there with the answer saying, come and see. You know, maybe God can help you through this situation. What have you got to lose? If you're out of work, what have you got to lose if you pray about it? If you let us pray with you about it, what have you got to lose? Nothing. Don't cost anything. Hey, come and see. Maybe, maybe it'll work for you. Come and taste God and see if he works in your life. When we make that offer in this world, they're more like to, uh, likely to, uh, to get it or to come and see for themselves. A story is told about a young salesman who was disappointed after he spent all this time trying to sell somebody on this product that he had. And he, man, he just laid everything out there and he put so much emphasis in it and he had done such a great job and felt good about his sales job, tactics that he'd used to get this person to buy this product, and they didn't. They walked away from it. And the you know, salesman, you know, he's a little bit, you know, distressed over it. And he goes to his manager and he says, man... I'm really upset, but I guess the old saying's right. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. <clears throat> now this manager says, you know, that, that's true, you can't. But he says, your job isn't to make him drink. It's your job to make him thirsty. And that's what Christ is. It isn't our job to beat people over the head with the gospel. It's our job to make them thirsty for God, to make them want God. When we tell people what God has done in our lives and how we've tasted God and how we've seen that everything his word is true and how much better our life is, where we've come from and where God has taken you, and we share these kind of things, it's, it'll make them thirsty. Hey, I want some of that. Because a lot of people, they come to Christ because, hey, I want what they have. That usually is the come and see. They want to see whatever it is in their life that's making a difference. They want some. And that's what we as Christians need to do. It isn't our job to beat them over the head with a Bible. It's our job to make them thirsty. Talk about how good God has been to us. And the problem a lot of times is like in our life, we've been saved for over 20 years. 
And people don't know us. All they know us is the Christian Randy and Sandra. They don't know the old Randy and Sandra, the partying Randy and Sandra. They don't know them. So I have to tell people where God brought us from. And that he could do that in our life, he could do it in their life. Because he's the same. And that's our pitch. That's what we need to do. We need to make people thirsty for God. And not by griping and complaining all the time. I know life isn't a pleasant thing sometimes. But God never said life would be easy. He just said it would be worth it. And there's a lot of things God does in our life that we can brag about. And it's okay to brag about God. We brag about our kids. We show people kid pictures of our kids whether they want to see them or not. And there's nothing worse than a new grandma or a new grandpa. Man, I'll tell you, they'll talk your ears off about their new, their new granddaughter or grandson. They will. Because why? Because they're excited about it. <clears throat> but we need to be that excited about God. Are we just as willing and just as uh, excited about sharing God with somebody as we are about sharing a picture of our family or telling what our kids are doing? When we do that, then we kind of make people thirsty. Maybe it just starts out with a little thirst, because, you know, thirst builds. You know, you start thinking, well, you know, I can just drink a water, or I'm, I'm starting to get a little thirsty. And maybe you don't drink anything right then, but if you keep, the longer you don't drink, the more thirsty you're going to be. And that's what we need to do with Christ, with Christ. Give them a little bit, a little bit of time. Make them thirsty. Help them to, to be thirsty for God, because that's our obligation, and that's what, that's what works. It's a proven it's a proven way. That, that's the way the disciples built the early church. A little bit at a time, making people thirsty, making them want what they had. In uh, verse 47, it said, When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here is tr a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were under the fig tree be before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than these. And then he added, I tell you the truth, that you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on earth. Now, I heard that it was kind of customary back in, in those times for, for uh, devout Jews to um, when, pray under fig trees. I don't know why. Maybe it's because it's a symbol of, of uh, Israel was a fig tree. I have no idea. And this was kind of a... Uh, a custom that they had. Maybe that's what he was doing. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Maybe he's even praying for the Messiah to come. Because <laughs> they did that. It was customary to pray for that. All your devout Jews prayed for the coming of the Messiah. And you go over to uh, Israel now, and you go to the wailing wall, there's people there all the time. And they're just praying, and they're begging for the Messiah to come. That's what they're doing. <clears throat> so it's not beyond reason that, that he could have been praying for the Messiah at this time. I think it's kind of exciting that maybe he was. <laughs> And then, boom, there he is. <laughs> Answer to prayer, instant. <laughs> but he prayed for that for a long time, if that was the case. But we're not told <clears throat> about what he was praying about. But basically, when Jesus was, was talking to him, he said, hey, man, you ain't seen nothing yet. He says, you're going to see greater things than these. If you think my omnipresence in seeing you through the power, because he was God, he could have probably even told him what he was thinking about if he wanted to or what was going on, whatever was going on in his life. But that instant, Nathaniel knew that he was God. At that moment, that's all it took for him. Hey, that's enough for me. Some people aren't that easy to convince. <laughs> but he, he was telling him, you think this is something. Hey, you wait, you follow me, and you're going to see greater things than these. <clears throat> um, verse John 14, 12 says, I tell you the truth. 
Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. <clears throat> he will do greater things than these. <clears throat> Jesus said before he went away that we're going to do greater things than he did. Now that's a lot. Man, we sit there and think about that. Man, if I could just do what Jesus did, that, that'd blow everybody's mind, wouldn't it? But he said, you're going to do greater things than these. I don't know how much greater you could do than what Jesus did. But he said, you'll do greater things than these. And actually, if you look at the lives of the disciples and all the, the influence that they had on that day, they did. They influenced the world. They turned the whole world upside down. And that same promise is, is to us too. You think this is something? You ain't seen nothing yet. We live in a society of miracles, but the problem is we have to take note and, and realize them. We get so, every, everything is so commonplace to us. We see something that happens in our life and we'll say, oh, that was just a coincidence. Well, a coincidence is an, an anonymous miracle from God. And we need, we need to open our eyes and look at the miracles that God has done in our lives. Everyone here this morning that accepted Christ, you're a miracle. We're miracles. We're walking miracles. If you've ever been healed, which I have been, if you've ever had anything that God answered your prayer in, it's a miracle because it goes against anything that you look rationally in your mind. It shouldn't happen. And you try to write it off as coincidence. It isn't. God intervenes in our life, and he says, you're going to do greater things. And he wants us to be aware of all the miracles that happens in our lives. Nathaniel's walk with God or with Jesus started out with miraculous and amazing. And God, that, that's the way God wants our lives to be. He wants our lives to be amazing. He calls us to a supernatural journey, not just an everyday, you know, boring life. That isn't what God's will is for our life. He wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to be able to be a blessing to others. He wants us to perform miracles. But the problem is we don't step out because we're, we're not amazed anymore. We're not amazed with the things that God does for us. So it's not a big deal to us. With all the technology we see, I was looking at watching the things on the news this past week about Haiti and all these people and all this devastation that's over there. And I was sitting there wondering, you know, how many of our hearts are callous to looking at this kind of stuff? And it doesn't affect us because we see so much stuff on TV. We see so much violence. We see so much destruction. We've watched so many, <clears throat> excuse me, science fiction movies where these kind of things happen. We just figure it's just another movie. And we can't really get a grasp on the, on the reality of this kind of things happening. Well, that's the same thing that happens in the reverse when we see God's hand in our life. He does things for us and we just write it off as technology or coincidence or, or no big deal. Whereas we need to start sitting back and looking and being more aware of the things that God does in our life. Because it's amazing. It's amazing to me that God even allows me to talk to him on a one-on-one -on -one basis. That should be amazing to us. The Old Testament, they, man, they couldn't even get into the holy, holy place, let alone the holies of holies. And God just ripped open the door and says, come on in. Now that's amazing. We're allowed to just walk right in there and like we're special. We are special to God. If we understood how special and important we were to God and how much that he wants to do through us, man, we would be amazed. And we'd have a supernatural journey and just, instead of just living our everyday life. See, the problem with life is that it's every day. Just everyday life. Oh, somebody calls you, how you doing? Oh, same, 
same today as it was yesterday, you know, type thing. We, we just aren't aware of anything that happens in our life. But we need to sit there and evaluate our lives, and we're probably amazed how many times that God has intervened in our lives. Just driving down the road. Maybe we missed an accident, you know. Oh, okay, last minute we seen it and we moved out of the way. That was God. Well, we, do we say thank you, Jesus, for that? No. Oh, we just, just, I'm just a good driver. I'm just noticing what's going on. We just pass everything off as not God. But when we become aware of what God is doing in our lives, then God can do more things in our lives because we're thankful. I'm thankful. When that happens to me, I'm, I thank you, Jesus. I'm aware of it because I know that it's just easy to run into whatever it was is not. But God protected me. And I want to give him glory for that and be more aware of it. And we as Christians need to be more aware of that in our daily lives and not let it just be mundane and something that, you know, that we expect. Because God wants our life to be amazing. When we walk with him, man, we're walking with Jesus on our side. Wow, this is great. But see, the problem is <clears throat> we have to be on the same path. We're going to walk with Jesus. See, he calls us to follow him. He didn't tell us the, he, he didn't tell us he was going to follow us. Our path leads to destruction. So if we want to we go to heaven, we've got to change paths. And he says, follow me, and that path is narrow. And when you're on a narrow, wet, narrow path, you're not really walking side by side. You're walking behind one another because it's a narrow, dangerous path, and only Jesus knows which step to go into. And he wants us to follow us on that path. And that, when we change paths, that's called repentance. Because that's what repentance means. It means turning around, going a different direction. We're going our own path over here. Jesus has called us. Come and see. See if you can trust me. And when you come to God, you know you can trust him. When you get to know God, you find out that he's trustworthy. And everything he says is true. And we can trust. And when you understand that, then he says, come, follow me. And then we turn around. And then we, we get off our path that leads to our destruction. And we start following God. Sometimes the, the road's a little, little rough. But I'll tell you, when I was on this path over here, it was pretty rough too. But we forget about the rough path that we had when we was living our lives for ourselves and on our own path. We forget about that path. We have these grand, grand ideas. Oh, it was so, it was sometimes I think, oh, you know, I never had these problems until I got saved. Really? Maybe you need to look at it a little differently. Because I had a lot of problems when I wasn't saved. Lots of problems. And God has spared me from a lot of things because my path's changed. And that's what God wants us to do. He says, come, follow me, change paths, and I will lead you down through this road. When it's treacherous, I'm going to be your guide. Follow me. His invitation hasn't changed at all over the years. It's the same one. Come, taste and see. Come and see for yourself. Come and find out if I'm everything that I've said I am. Come and see if you can trust me. He said it through the, to the shepherds. He said it throughout to the, the women at the tomb. He said it to his disciples. And the last book of the Bible, last page of the Bible, in Revelation 22, 7, 17, it says, The spirit of the bride say, Come. Let him who hears me says, says, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take a, the free gift of the water of life. The invitation is the same today. If we're not getting people interested in God, maybe we're, at, maybe we're trying to do it the wrong way. We need to do it. We need to use it the way he did. Come and see. We need to throw it out there for them. Say, come and see, because his pitch hasn't changed over the years. Because once we get them to come and see, then they're going to taste, and they're going to see he's everything that they'd hoped for. But we have to get them there. 
We don't have to force them to beat them over the head because that isn't going to work. We need to make them thirsty for God. And when we do, and when you do it God's way, then God and the Holy Spirit can work in their hearts and draw them to them. And that's what we want anyway, isn't it? We want God to do it. We don't want to do it. We want God to do it through us. And all we got to do is make them thirsty. And all we got to do is give them the same invitation that's been there for 2,000 years. Come and see. That's God's message for us today. Let's pray. I pray